This Week in HPC. Major League Baseball's Secret Cray. And notes from the Rice Oil and Gas HPC Workshop. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everybody, and thanks for listening into another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research. I'm Addison Snell, and that's Michael Feldman. And This Week in HPC is distributed in partnership with our friends at top500.org. How are you doing this week, Michael? Very well, Addison. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm back in my home office after traveling to Texas this week with uh, my partner, our chief research officer, Chris Willard. He and I had some meetings with some HPC companies in Austin before attending the Rice University HPC workshop in Houston later in the week, and we'll get to that in a bit. But before that, Michael, kind of a a fun story for us. It's not often we get this kind of uh, intersection between sports and HPC. But that's exactly what we have is ESPN, the magazine, did a ranking of the use of analytics among major sports teams in the U.S. Right. And they came up with uh, baseball, um, football, basketball, I think uh, one hockey team. Hockey. Yeah. Um, And the most interesting part of this for us was the the rankings of the baseball teams because uh, the writer of that article took a, a guess on who bought the uh, Cray Eureka graph machine that was announced about a year ago, and they thought on their research of the of the teams and the sort of the depth of of uh, buy into analytics that the Houston Ast- Astros were the team that bought the Cray machine. Yeah, it was funny. This is uh, Ben Bomber reporting for uh, ESPN for this article, and he named nine teams in baseball that he flagged as being all in on analytics. The Boston Red Sox, the Chicago Cubs, Cleveland Indians, Houston Astros, New York Yankees, Oakland A's, Pittsburgh Pirates, St. Louis Cardinals, and Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, And then with another uh, uh, seven beyond that is Believers, and then eventually ranks all the way down to the Miami Marlins and the Philadelphia Phillies being the non-believers in analytics. But in his write-up of of all of the teams and their approach here under the Houston Astros, he writes, all signs point to the Astros being the mystery team that purchased a Cray supercomputer last spring. And he talks about the the, the role of that in analytics. It's not the only mention of of supercomputing. He talks about R. He talks about Oracle and and some of these other articles. But anyway, that begat uh, a blog from Nick Davis at Cray uh, saying he really wishes he could talk about who the team was, but they can't talk about it other than he'll say now it's not the Astros. Right. He said actually their team that uh, they sold it to actually did better than the Astros this year. Uh, but again, he couldn't he couldn't mail down that team. Uh, the, well, that doesn't eliminate very many teams. The Astros did not have a, a great year. There are only uh, right. uh, four other teams that didn't do better than the Astros. So I guess we've narrowed it down to 25 out of the 30 clubs that it might be. Yeah. Well, and you sort of assume if uh, ESPN did the research correctly, it's it's probably one of the all-in teams uh, since they Presumably. probably have. I mean, some of these teams have staffs of, of eight or more data analytics or data scientists on, on board. And you figure uh, something with with that sort of uh, staff would probably be able to use a, a graph analytics appliance rather than some of these uh, 
and sort of these less enthusiastic uh, teams like Baltimore or Los Angeles Dodgers. Yeah, it could be, although I'm intrigued in the write-up about the Cleveland Indians that he talks about um, some of the specific uh, members of that analytics team, including Max Marchi for the Cleveland Indians, who uh, the author says literally wrote the book on analyzing baseball data in the increasingly popular programming language called R. So uh, that would maybe be another indicator that the Cleveland Indians have something scary that could be running on this Eureka system. Yeah, that's a possibility. I mean, we should mention that the users that they highlighted there had uh, uh, Sig Mejdal, formerly of NASA. So he was, he's re, uh, running a, a nine-man uh, metric staff at that club. But like I said, a lot of these other clubs also have uh, staffs of six or more. I'm, I'm guessing it's, it's one of the... The, let's say the one of the wealthier teams like like Boston or New York that that have a fairly large market and have a pretty good revenue stream. Although, like we like we talked about on the pre-show, I mean they're they're paying millions for these players. So even if they they dropped a million dollars for a Cray supercomputer, that's not much in comparison to what their uh, their roster lineups are costing them and then even their day-to-day operations. That's right. You know, would a million-dollar investment in computing affect a $10 million or $100 million decision you're going to make on player? Or can you make a better decision in-game that, you know, helps contribute to a win? The sports world is funny in that uh, although these are teams that, you know, do make or, or lose money, it's it, unlike other commercial enterprises, it's not the primary way that you tend to evaluate a team. You, you don't hear people saying, man, those Minnesota twins they were really profitable last year five straight seasons of profitability you know it's it's just not the the metric now there's certainly a correlation between winning and, and money uh, if you're on tv more selling more advertising selling more tickets more sponsorships you go into the postseason you're playing longer uh you know it's it's hard to imagine a team winning the world series and not making money from that but but the profitability is is not viewed as the main goal. The, the goal is winning, and you need right. to invest in order to try to ensure that. Although we should note the, the original uh, sort of progenitor of all this, uh, Billy Bean at the Oakland A's, the, the guy who basically invented Moneyball, actually used the system to minimize the the cost of the roster. I mean, he, that was the specific goal there to to make sure they had uh, they could fit within a certain budget and and win as much as they could within that budget. But the idea was to 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 minimize the payout because that's what the 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 ownership was uh, limiting at that point. Well, I, I don't know that I completely agree with you. I think you flipped that around the other way. He was stuck with a small budget for right. the roster. Right. He wasn't trying to minimize it. It was minimized. It, it was, was told, minimized. This, is how, this is how much you can spend. And within that, what he's trying to do is maximize wins. And the whole point of Moneyball, uh, from that standpoint, with regards to the A's, was looking for um, statistics that he could turn into wins if they were even if they were undervalued by the market. And while the rest of the uh, market, all the other teams were were paying for stats like home runs, uh, he found that on-base percentage was uh, uh, was something that, uh, that he could invest in and get at a bargain and that it had a strong correlation to win. So I, I think the goal to win is still the same. It's just a question of how much you're allowed to spend doing it. And that, now what you get is teams with bigger budgets – 
are saying they're still going to buy in with analytics. They're still going to spend their player budget, but they're trying to maximize wins while they do it. Right. I mean, and it's fascinating how, how far across the board they can sort of use this uh, technology. I mean, it's big data analytics, but they're using it not just for you know, game playing situations, but they're using it to do the roster lineups, to do the matchups with the pitchers against the hitters, and also just to do personnel recruitment, to look at uh, uh, a prospect's statistics and see how he's going to fit in with the team and, and use it that way. It's, it has a lot of different applications across uh, sort of the whole business of, of baseball. And now we've been talking primarily about baseball. The ESPN article goes into all four of the major U.S. sports. I apologize to our international listeners. There wasn't a whole lot on soccer here, although I, I have seen other stories with regards to that. But uh, the NBA was next, and he's looking at uh, four different NBA teams that he called all in on analytics. In hockey, he had only one, the Chicago Blackhawks, where they commented that analytics were helping them with puck possession, just holding on to the the puck in their own possession more, which said that they can then correlate to scoring opportunities, although they then had a, a long list of uh, other teams that were believers that were investigating analytics. The thing that was interesting to me was that when he got to the NFL, professional football, um, they ran the headline, uh, this is by Kevin Seifert for ESPN.com, that across sports, NFL teams are the most reluctant to take advantage of analytics. They had nobody who was on the all inside, and I found that interesting. Yeah, and I think that that reflects more than anything just the the culture of, of the NFL and maybe of sports in general. You have to remember back when uh, when Billy Bean started Moneyball back uh, you know ten or more years ago, the culture was such that nobody believed that this would work, or nobody believed that you know there was any other way to do it other than you know scouting and grunt work and and uh, spreadsheets. So uh, there's a cultural change that has to happen, and it looks like it happened first in baseball, but uh, I think it'll happen in these other sports, including the NFL. Well, it would seem to me that it, the NFL teams would have potentially the most to gain. Now, you've got these very high-value players. They're facing right. very specific uh, circumstances. Like baseball, you have a wealth of statistics that you might look at. I, I guess, to me, the one big difference is is just the number of games that you have. You know, baseball, you have a 162-game regular season. Football, you have a 16-game regular season. So that's a 10x difference in how many games are in a season, there, there just might be not as much data to analyze. Right, and the longevity of the players is, is less than in something like baseball as well, so this might not be as, as rich a data set there. So there's probably some challenges, but I, I, think, uh, I think you're right in general. I think NFL would profit from, from this kind of technology, and I think, uh, I think it will soon. Well, a fun story in any case. You get into these popular areas like sports, and you see how HPC is touching our everyday lives. But for now, what we can say is it's not the Houston Astros with the Cray. They, they believe in analytics, according to ESPN, but they're not the Cray owners. But even if it's not the Astros who have, uh, have the Cray, uh, we can stick with Houston, because one thing Houston does have is a lot of HPC with regards to the oil and gas market. Yeah, that's right. You were at the uh, the Rice uh, Oil and Gas HPC workshop this this week, and it sounds like there was an interesting lineup of, of keynotes and speakers. There. I was looking online, and you got to see it all there in person. 
Uh, Chris Willard and I were both there, and I'll tell you what, this was a really good conference in terms of the content, and I, I will start with those keynotes. I thought the best presentation out of a very strong lineup uh, overall came from Katie Antipas, who uh, is with NERSC, and um, she was talking about preparing these large-scale national lab systems for many core architectures and got very quickly into the practicality of trying to modernize their applications is the, the verb that you hear used sometimes, especially by Intel, to uh, to look ahead to many core architectures, talking about threading and vectorization and, uh, and how you decompose your codes, how you schedule things, really breaking down uh, how they might revisit their, their architectures uh, going forward. Right, that's a big, that's a big thing for not just oil and gas, but for all the, all the domains now where we're switching over to these new architectures and many core and and especially the ones that are, like GPUs and and Xeon Phi, where you need to take advantage of the strong vector components to those uh, those platforms. And it it, it uh, segued very nicely into the next talk, which was Bradley McCready uh, talking about open power. And, um, you know, one common theme there was there was not only looking at, at many core, but talking very directly that it, saying out loud without no one contradicting them, saying that the era of Moore's law is over, that, you know, we're not going to, to get this uh, free ride anymore. And, and this is why we need to look at doing things that are new. It was the first time I, I could really remember being at a conference where it was taken for granted throughout that Moore's Law was done. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I, it's, there's more and more of those uh, those talks I see. I mean, even um, uh, Horst Simon talked about it in a slightly different way than, than Brad McCready did about Moore's Law. And, and he was saying, I mean, he reiterated the fact that you know this this uh, adoption of accelerators is is sort of doing a little bit of an end run around Moore's law, but that's basically a, a, a one time shot. It's not you're not going to be able to continue to to do that. So you're going to have to find other technologies to to advance the same Moore's law rate that we've been used to. But but Brad is right in the fact that accelerators have actually you know been sort of surpassed Moore's law. Uh, uh, metrics a little bit, at least for the time being, and, and IBM and the, the Open Power Foundation are, are definitely going to take advantage of that. Then, uh, you know, one of the Thursday keynotes uh, just kept picking up on that thread with uh, Jack Dungara talking about uh, these same trends. Now, he started from the standpoint of the top 500 list, but pointed out that LinPack as a benchmark had really driven a lot of this investment toward uh, some of these many core parallel uh, architectures with regards to driving a, a good LinPack score in the top 500. And he used that as a segue way to transition to the need for another type of benchmark and introducing the, the HPCG benchmark, which maybe is a bookend to high-performance LINPAC, provides the, the bounds for what can you actually expect for real application performance, depending on the characteristic of your workload. Right. Jack's been talking about that for some time, and you sort of wonder, the oil and gas crowd, I mean, they they, they probably aren't as as wedded to Limpack as maybe some of the uh, the other domains are. I mean, they've got their own applications, and I'm, I'm guessing they run their own codes whenever they uh, consider or look at a, at a at a platform or, or a buy now. But um, 
Yeah, it would be interesting to see what the reaction of, of that oil and gas crowd was to, to Jack's new set of benchmarks. Well, I think people see it as a step in the right direction, to be sure. Uh, we, we need other things to measure other than just lean back. I do sure. like the idea of, of keeping the simplicity of a ranking. I don't think it's going to replace lean back or replace the top 500. Things that are simple rankings are good, and, and we need more things in that direction. My only concern with HPCG is going to be if people don't elect to run it, then you don't uh, have that data. And, uh, and even Jack said that one of the challenges with top 500 is running the benchmark itself starts consuming a lot of valuable resource time. Yeah, that, that's very true. And one other uh, keynote is we were talking about power consumption for all of these multiple cores and all of the memory is uh, Steve Hammond from uh, National Renewable Energy Laboratory, NREL, uh, did give his talk. Now, I, I've seen talks from NREL before and, and understand it, but uh, what was different this time around was he picked up on a thread from The Economist talking about energy conservation as evaluating that as if it's a type of fuel. And uh, looking at the cost of consuming a, a, a kilowatt of electricity versus what's your cost to try to invest to save that kilowatt of electricity. And he was pointing out that when you evaluated with that same uh, uh, econometric scale, that the investments to conserve electricity wind up having a better cost benefit than trying to lower the cost, investing to lower the cost of how much the electricity costs to begin with. Yeah, that. That is a very interesting perspective. I wonder how um, I wonder how that particular crowd received it, though, considering they're in the business of selling as much uh, product as they can to, <laughs> to burn energy. And here's Steve coming in and saying, "Let's uh, let's 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 not buy your product anymore." You know, it was at least one step removed in that he was talking about electricity and the sources of electricity, and right. oil is, is not r really directly on that. But but yeah, he even made that exact joke about him being a particular tree hugger out here giving a presentation in Houston. There was a bit of an overtone, by the way, I should say, about the low price of oil right now, which uh, you know, most people in society celebrate because they think about driving their car and they want it to be cheaper. But when you're in Houston, it's directly linked to your economy. And uh, you know, uh, people down there do worry about uh, what it's going to do to the companies in that space if the cost of oil stays low. Yeah, and I'm guessing some of these some of these companies and associated companies that buy HPC gear might might be affected too, as this this dip in oil and gas pricing has been going on for so long that it might start affecting people's uh, uh, buying patterns for for HPC uh, renewed products. We've we've absolutely seen that happen before. Now you know the. the the use of HPC has to do with finding oil, so you hope that a lot of the investments get protected. But if the price of oil stays low for a, for a long time, I, I think it does start to constrict uh, spending. Um, it was a great conference overall, and I've only just barely touched on it. One of the very interesting things I thought was that they had a, a set of what they call the disruptive technology track, 
where they had um, eight different presentations on disruptive technology, but they kept them all to two minutes each. Uh, the, the companies in question had two minutes to get you excited about the technology in their presentation. Then if you wanted to learn more, you could go find them uh, at their booths or their poster sessions. So they had uh, Micron with the automata processor. They had the, the liquid cool solutions. Um, they had uh, something on uh, from Altair on, on improved uh, design for subsea riser systems. Uh, Dougal Ballantyne talking about Amazon Web Services and cloud. Um, Bright Computing talking about reverse time migration with Hadoop. Uh, a presentation from uh, IBM on Watson. Something from a neat company called Rex on their Neo architecture. It was a, uh, a new uh, uh, processor chip uh, full of uh, 256 uh, essentially micro cores in an array. Uh, Chris and I both found that interesting. And then finally, something from uh, Intel on, on OmniPath. So you could get this quick overview of some of these hard, uh, fast-hitting disruptive technologies. Well, that sounds like a great conference. I know there was basically 500 or so people there, but it sounds like there was uh, 500 intensely interested people in HPC there. So it sounds like a, it, was, it went really well. There really were, and there's stuff for the end users as well. Uh, there were uh, breakout uh, sessions on both fine-grained and coarse-grained seismic algorithms, very technical, a session on reservoir production. There were sessions on the facilities infrastructure uh, that uh, Chris and I sat in on with interesting stories on the practicalities of installing supercomputers and you know having the, the computer floor above the floodplain or designing your driveway so the truck isn't coming downhill, or how many racks per day your elevator could handle. You know, these practical considerations that you don't necessarily think about, but you're going to install a new supercomputer and suddenly they matter. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, I'll say my favorite thing about this conference is they build in a lot of time for for networking, both with the, the end users, of course, but also the, the vendors who were there. They, they had 28 different vendor sponsors. Uh, the gold level sponsors were, were CDW, HP, IBM, Intel, SGI, and Fusion Labs. And, and then they had uh, a, a lot of other sponsors besides. So you could go see the technologies in their booths, uh, uh, maybe get acquainted with companies that you didn't already know. I was impressed that some of the resellers were there, not just CDW as a gold sponsor, but other ones I was familiar with, like PCPC Direct, or, or not familiar with, like Dot Hill Systems or, or One Stop Systems, uh, you know, the, the reseller space showing up to sponsor a, a conference like this, I thought was positive. Wow. Yeah. Sounds like a, a very complete conference. I, they're still calling it a workshop, I guess, but it definitely sounds like a, like a <laughs> not, major Not next event. year. They're Changing it to a conference next year, Jan Odegaard, the the, the main chair of the uh, Rice Oil and Gas Conference, said once you have more pre-registrants than the House of Representatives, it becomes a conference, not a <laughs> workshop. So it's next year, it's a conference. <laughs> Very good. All right. Well, that'll wrap it up for this week, Michael. I appreciate you doing the news with me, as always. And, and thanks to our listeners for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. You've been listening to This Week in HPC. 